Recovery Insider. Recovery Insider. Recovery Insider. Recovery Insider. This is Recovery Insider. Hello and welcome to Recovery Insider. I'm your host, Tim Myers. As always, our program is being brought to you by Lighthouse Recovery Institute. Lighthouse Recovery Institute reminding you that we can all change. Visit them online at lighthouserecoveryinstitute.com. Visit them on Facebook or if someone you know and love needs help, give them a call at 1-844-I-CAN-CHANGE. That's 1-844-I-CAN-CHANGE. Also, here at Recovery Insider, we have our own fancy little website. That's recoveryinsiderpodcast.com, recoveryinsiderpodcast.com. Or shoot us an email if you want to be on the program. Shoot us an email if you want to complain about me. Or shoot us an email if you want to say something nice. And you can email us at recoveryinsider at gmail.com. We're coming to you today live from a coffee shop in St. Paul, Minnesota. And I am here today with my dear friend, Dylan. We have a uh, controversial topic to talk about. Um, First, we'll have Dylan introduce himself. Dylan, tell us about yourself, please. I'm Dylan. I'm an alcoholic. I have been sober since February of 2015. I grew up in Wisconsin. I currently live in St. Paul, Minnesota. Do you have a girlfriend? No. Why not? Because I have dabbled in relationships in these early nine months and they have gone terribly. And that is because I don't think that I'm in a place right now emotionally, spiritually, to uh, bring anything to the table in a relationship. I think you have a lot to bring to the table in a relationship. This is a topic you like to bring up a lot. Yes, because you have a nice heart and a wonderful beard, and you're a sweet man. I'm also a very selfish, dishonest Don't talk about my friend that way. (laughs) Who gets really, really weird when it comes to relationships. How weird? Like obsessive and instead of being okay with myself, I try to make make other people be okay and that just doesn't work out for me. Okay, wonderful. Anything else you want to know? Um, nope, how is your cake? Dylan's eating a piece of cake here. It's delicious and... Good. Now let's get to the topic. No one cares about your cake. Okay. All right. So today's topic is medication in recovery. Now I'm not talking about Wellbutrin. I'm not talking about um, Paxil. You know, I'm talking about narcotics and a situation that I had come up. I was working with a guy and... um, did everything I've ever asked and he's three months sober but since day one he calls me he's like hey what's up living the dream doing the deal everything's good in my world back to you Tim you know like a real salesman and I keep asking him what are you struggling with because he never seems to struggle with anything he's got no job he lives in a halfway house must be nice but it has no problems in the world Every day he calls, and every day I say, what are you struggling with? Is not much, living the dream. Things are good, sky is blue. So, 
Yeah, and what you find out, I guess, is that he's on. Well, what do you think? First, before I tell you what I found out. Well, in my experience, that, um, I don't know. If I was speaking like that, it's one of two things. I, I kind of was like that in the beginning of my recovery, and I brought it up to some people in my life about how I walk on eggshells and I think that I should just be happy all the time. And they promptly let me know that that's ridiculous and that I'm not gonna be happy and that I'm gonna have problems and I have to push through my problems and not just pretend that I'm okay all the time because I'm not gonna be. Or this person just doesn't wanna be honest. They just don't wanna be honest with themselves, with another person, or with their higher power. That, I, I don't know. But in my early, and still to this day, I struggle with stuff every day. So from my experience, it'd be tough for somebody. Maybe he doesn't struggle. Maybe he's just got it. I don't know. I don't know the man. Well, um, here's the deal. After three months of banging my head against the wall, trying to figure out what's wrong with this guy, I asked again, what are you struggling with? And he said, nothing, you know, things are good. Uh, I love my life, you know, just uh, doing the deal, my man. And he goes, well, there is one thing. I said, what's that one thing? He said, well, the halfway house I'm moving into, um, they want me to uh, come off my medication, but it's prescribed by a doctor. And uh, so I'm not going to do that. And I was like, well, what's your medication? And he says, clonopin. Okay, yeah. So all of a sudden, it makes sense. If, yeah. If you're taking clonopin every day, you're probably going to have pretty great days. And uh, what precisely is clonopin? Clonopin, you tell me. Uh, from my understanding, it is a low-end benzodiazepine that helps with anxiety. My only true experience with it, though, is crushing it up and rolling it up into a blunt and smoking it with weed um, and abusing the hell out of it because it's a narcotic and it makes me feel different. So that has been my experience with it. But to dive into this topic, um, yeah, that's a... Uh, Interesting, I guess, for me personally, I had to rid myself of all medications um, just to get my body to balance out um, with my past and everything that I've experienced. I, I know that my brain chemistry and all that stuff is off and I think that you have to give it time to balance itself out, but I don't know. With this situation that you're describing, it was told to me a long time ago by a person in the program, well, not in the program, a counselor, that it's only a problem when it's a problem. So really, you're banging your head against the wall because this guy is saying everything's okay. And maybe everything is okay in his life. And where, where do you draw the line on, is it helping or is it hurting, is such, a gray conversation that I know gray conversations are uncomfortable for me because I like things to be black and white and they never really are. So, you know, it's a tricky subject to go down. Uh, 
I heard earlier today people talking about abusing sugar, really, and questioning if their intake of sugar was good because, you know, if it makes me feel good, I want more of it type of thing. And really, I don't know. You know, you go down this road and you... you Hold on. We were in in the same meeting. Can we talk about that for a minute? Because while I was sitting there, I was like... Shut the fuck up about your sugar. Like, shut the hell up. Okay? Uh, no one cares that you're doing no sugar Movember. Okay? Like, and the... the, the he cares, though. Okay, good for him. everybody wants a pat on the back. I know I do. Good. I want to bust into a room and get a million pats on the back. Good. I'll, I pat you on the back. I'll start doing it every day. But the, the, the point of this kid... This guy's talking about how he has a problem with Red Bull... And he can't go to a gas station without getting two Red Bulls, and he's hiding Red Bulls, and the motherfucker has a month and a half sober. Like, really, you want to talk about Red Bulls? Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, he's at a month and a half sober, and he takes up our he takes up our time. So I met him after the meeting, and I said to him, I go, "You realize you don't have a problem with Red Bull? That's not your problem, right?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm like, you've got a month and a half sober." Why don't you work on your steps? Fucking forget. Drink as much Red Bull as you want. Oh, yeah. So, well, that relates, though, to this. What you're talking about is it's only a problem when it's a problem. So, really, if this guy's taking Klonopin and he can't get into his halfway house on it and he doesn't want to get off it, is there another halfway house that will take him? Is it a problem that he's on Klonopin? Yeah, it's a problem he's on Klonopin. I don't... What like first of all, I think the market for clonopin friendly halfway houses is pretty slim. Yeah. You know. But the point is when I asked him why he feels he needs to stay on clonopin, his answer was when I'm not on clonopin, I'm ranked seventh in my store in sales. When I am on clonopin, I was number one in the country. Oh jeez. So I, my, I said, well, based on your answer, you don't need Klonopin. You're talking about ego and job performance and statistics. It's like A-Rod saying, when I don't take steroids, I'm ranked 30th in home runs. But when I do, no one hits them farther or more frequently. Yeah. No, with that answer, no, he, he doesn't need to be on them. He shouldn't be on them. And it will probably limit his growth as a person because he's got a fail-safe. And that is my big problem with being on medication, especially early on in recovery, is if it's not 100% necessary, you know, if you happen to suffer from bipolar or schizophrenia or there's some drugs out there that you need to be on because you have, you know, a dual diagnosis, that's fine. But if you really don't, having that fail-safe for me would be something I would just lean on constantly. I would, like this guy, he's like, I want to sell more, so I'm on Klonopin, and my life's okay, my life's manageable because I have this. And eventually, in my own experience, that has not been the case, and that would not work. So what do I do? Because that's essentially the question here is, well, I guess well, yeah. first, yeah. first, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. It's about you. Okay. No, no. It is about me, Dylan. But first, do you consider this individual sober? Well, in what, guys? Yeah. It, well, it, it's been three months since he's ever 
used in an abusing sense, right? Has he been abusing it or has he been taking it? He for... says no. Well, then off the information that I have provided, then yeah, I, I can't deny this man his sobriety. I just don't feel like... Yeah, it's the asterisk. It's the whole asterisk com conversation. It's the same thing that if you you know you want to get me heated, we could start talking about Suboxone because that directly affects people I love and care about that I don't think should be on it, and they were pushed on it by doctors, so that gives them the biggest excuse in the world to do that instead of really having to own up and face themselves. So yeah, it's like, are they sober? Yeah, are they not? hurting anybody yeah Is i don't it think good no i don't think they're sober i don't think this guy's sober i don't think your suboxone people are sober they're alive so that's good you know that's the suboxone defense is that they're alive but you're right you know it's but are they really no they're are zombies. you really alive no they're fucking zombies they don't really are suboxone <laughs> don't Again, we're being brought to you by Lighthouse Recovery Institute. They are just one of our sponsors, and they do not. But what is it? What is the sentence? Um, our words in no way um, express the views and principles of Lighthouse Recovery. Something like that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, take them off the hook for the stuff yeah, yeah. that comes they're, out of our mouth. They're just the sponsor, and we're just the assholes. <laughs> yeah. We're just two assholes in a coffee shop. That's all it is. It's probably so loud you can't even hear what we're talking about. Um, my thought is that if you're on a mood-altering substance, 99% of the time you're not sober. There are people, and this is actually what we forget sometimes, is why Clonopin was created. That there are people with severe, debilitating chemical imbalances of anxiety that cannot get out of the bed or function without this. And that by taking the clonopin, they actually feel normal. My, my, my friend Larry from the Fellowship Club, Larry had his testicle chopped off. Ouch. Yeah. It was scheduled. He had a, a problem with his testicle, and he had like two months sober, so they chopped off his testicle with a chopper, and... Medical term. Yeah, he was in the hot... <laughs> the chopper. Larry was in the chop shop, and we went to visit him, and they gave him uh, painkillers, and... We were all like newly sober, so we were like, oh my God, you get to relapse for free. And we we're like, what's it like, man? You know, like we had totally forgotten in our two months of sobriety what it's like. And we're like, what's it like, man? And Larry said, I was in so much pain. I was just, all I felt was that there was no pain. He didn't feel high. And so I always think about that in this situation. The people who take these narcotics as prescribed that really actually need them, for the most part, just feel normal. Yeah, yeah. When you're not abusing it, you don't get that high euphoria, that escape, that relief, that, um, yeah. I forget that all the time. Cause that, I've never, it doesn't yeah. make sense to me why so, you'd even do it if, to feel normal. My theory is if you're if you have attention deficit fake disorder and you get prescribed Ritalin like and you're in recovery, you're not sober. 
No, I have a ADD. I don't take anything for it because I don't personally think I need anything for it. I but. snorted it for twenty uh, for ten years every day. I just that's my now. A lot of people say if it's prescribed by a doctor, blah 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 blah. blah but doctors don't know. That's the they thing. Don't. They don't take a class in med school that's like addiction and addiction. They, some do. Some do. But the vast majority of them don't. Right. And, and it's not. They don't get their degree in psychology or addiction. And even if they did, I've walked out of a therapist's office before because I said, are you in recovery? She's like, well, no, but I have my master's in addiction studies. Like, okay, sell your body for crack and then get back to me and tell me how it feels to be me. Yeah. Well, that's that's very accurate. That's an accurate representation of the field in a whole, I think. And it was brought to my attention that your doctor might prescribe you something, but the person that you really should communicate with about your addiction is your pharmacist because they're much more aware of the effects of the pills and the drugs that people put you on whereas the doctors are just like oh you're feeling this this stops that here you go out the door type of thing because i don't know we live in america and in america they advertise prescription pills to the public they actually advertise on tv a prescription pill for blind people. Really? I haven't seen that one yet. My favorite commercial. And it's they gotta be. And there's a phone number on screen. Helpful. Yeah. Yep. They can't because blind people can't see. No, so. Thanks for letting people know that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the blind can't see. So the moral of the story here is if you're on clonopin as prescribed by a doctor and in recovery, are you sober? Dylan, yes or no? No. I say no to. So, as this person's sponsor, what do I do? Quit sponsoring them. That's easy. Think about yourself. Care about yourself. You know, your self-care is very important. And let this person know your uncomfortability with it. And don't give them an ultimatum. Thank you. It, don't give them an ultimatum because that's ridiculous, but let them know that you're not comfortable sponsoring them. That's really easy. If you're uncomfortable with the situation and you have, you're too close to it to even be able to help this person at this point where you probably should quit that intimate relationship and look at yourself more and then maybe in the future you can help. But right now, I don't even know how much of a help you would be to this person. Here's my problem though. He calls every single day. He does everything I ask. He goes to a meeting every single day. Then, and is he sober? Screw if somebody's on a clonopin. In your mind, Tim, is he sober? I don't believe so. Well, then you have the answer to your question. But, you are overthinking something that is no, way not. too easy. No, I'm not. But he did say to me on the phone that he is willing to come off the clonopin at some point but not ready to do that right now. Tell him to call you when he's ready. I was... I don't know. That that, that doesn't... His comments don't bode well for somebody I really am <laughs> trying to figure out a way to defend. But I'm number one in the world when I'm on it. Yeah. Great. Well then, let him do him. You know, nobody could convince me alcohol was a problem in my life until it was blatant to myself and I was the last person to know so 
I also I also have this like thing about me that with my sponsee Steve, he relapsed a million times, and then he was high while on his four step, and then he told me, and I was like, you know what, I can't help this guy anymore, and someone told my sponsor at the time. I'm not going to say Billy Rickman's name because I don't want it to be out there, but he's a, I mean, probably just a, he really, I don't know anyone worse of a person than him, but the only redeeming quality that that guy, what's his name again? Let's not say. Billy Rickman. Yeah, we're not going to say it. I mean, such a horrible person, but he did say some, one thing that was like really impactful is he said about Steve. What would it feel like if somebody didn't give up on you? And so I didn't give up on Steve. And together we called his parents to let him know that Steve isn't actually sober several years. He's, you know, and ever since that phone call, he felt what it was like to do the right thing. And Steve's coming up on, I think, five years. So I don't want to give up on this kid. But at the same time, this is not an authentic experience for him. I, it sounds like you have wants. <laughs> <laughs> you have wants and expectations of somebody who really, besides this one thing, is doing the deal. So they might have how long has this guy been sore three months yeah yeah he has no conception of right and wrong right now as long as he's showing up and trying to be there you know maybe down the road he'll find out that he had this crutch but right now in his mind it's prescribed by a doctor he's not abusing it as far as we know um and his actions even though i don't know him seem to be somebody who is trying to be honest you know man you might be making a mountain out of a molehill, but I don't know. Maybe down the line he'll realize how that has affected him. And how come nobody makes molehills out of mountains? Impossible. Molehills um, are made of dirt. Mountains are made of rocks. So I don't have... If you crush up rocks, isn't it just nope. dirt? Sand. Nope. Yeah. You're wrong. If you crush up rocks, it makes sand, not dirt. Let's talk about what it's like to have an intimate conversation with a woman about fire making. Uh, really? No. Uh, but in case there's any ladies out there who really like to talk about, what is it, primitive fire making? Primitive fire making. It was one conversation with a girl that I thought I would like and she turned out to be boring. But yes, I enjoy communicating about primitive fire making skills, camping, so being was, outdoors. So you found a girl who liked to talk about primitive fire making no. skills and were surprised that she was boring. Well, because she was kind of faking that. I don't think she really was into it. She She's not big outdoorsy. She's one of the people who says she's outdoorsy but isn't. But if there are any ladies out there, stay away from me. No, no, no. no. If so, if you like primitive fire making, email us. And you're a lady. Email us at recoveryinsider. Honestly, if you're a dude, I need more friends com. anyway. <laughs> or if you'd like to be friends with Dylan, email us at recoveryinsider at gmail.com. That's it for our program. If you're on Clonopin, are you sober? I don't think so. 
Dylan, thanks for making a molehill out of a mountain. And tune in next week, as always, we're being brought to you by Lighthouse Recovery Institute. If someone or you know needs help with addiction, give them a call at one eight four four I can change. That's one eight four four I can change. And as always, my name is Tim Myers. Stay sober, my friends. <laughs>